very warm welcome to the Posterity Podcast with me, Nigel Dugdale. The Posterity Podcast is brought to you by the Limerick Post, working in association with Limerick City Community Radio. And for this episode, I'm delighted to welcome on board Foot Solutions, who are based, of course, at number two, O'Connell Street. Foot Solutions have kindly come on board as a sponsor of the Posterity Podcast. And for those of you who don't know what Foot Solutions do, this is it. Foot, Foot Solutions know that no two feet are the same, and that's why their goal is to work with you to understand what's going on with your feet and how it impacts your lifestyle. They help customers of all age groups, and for those who have specific pain to those who present injury or those who are simply looking for comfortable shoes. They have everything that you could possibly need. They use the latest technology to identify any issues that you might have. You can contact Foot Solutions at 061-404-849. And again, thank you all so much for your feedback over recent weeks and months. I've had two-week break. I think I deserved it. And I'm here with my next guest, who is about to head off on a bicycle over to Lourdes, but this is a guy who I think most of you, if you don't know him, you've been living under a rock. Um, Fergal Deegan, you're very welcome to the studio and to the podcast. Thanks very much, Nigel. Fergal, I spoke to you, well, I've known you for donkey's years, and I think I remember I did a piece for you where I called you the real unelected mayor of Limerick or something along those lines. And listening to your story, I mean... All I can see in Fergal Deegan and most of the Deegans is a permanent smile on their faces. I want to know about where you grew up in Limerick and family background. Tell me a little bit about the Fergal Deegan as a boy. Very funny, Nigel. Actually, not far from this studio, my parents, um, they're still living in Bowman Street. For those people who might know where Bowman Street is, it's the connecting street between St. Joseph Street and Wolfton Street. So we grew up there. I have three brothers. Um, I'm the eldest. Uh, a two-bedroomed house, which, like you talk to people now, they'd be looking at you how you survived. Um, bunk beds. Mum um, and dad worked. Um, then mum, when she had four of us, gave up work for a while. And, and like back in the day, that's what happened. The husband went out to work and the mother minded the children. And just what kind of area were they working in? Okay. Dad originally was a mechanic, would you believe, on the trucks and ranks. And he had an accident and ended up pulling a muscle in his back and he couldn't work in, um, on the trucks anymore. He went to Ennis Road Motors for a while, but then he ended up as a serviceman with Heineken for t- over 25 years. So Dad was in and out of all the pubs every day. They all got to know him. They got to know us. We, we often went out helping him. And uh, so he used to do all the servicing in, 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 in uh, all the public houses for Heineken. Um, Mem... Worked in Woolworths, would you believe, long, long time ago. And again, I'm sure there are people listening are going, where was, where Woolworths? was Woolworths? So where the Jasmine Palace is now, and that block was Woolworths. Go on. And Mam then spent a, a quite a time in Eason's. So everybody got to know Mam in Eason's. Mam was inside a counter, got to know everyone, their books, their whatever. So she spent quite a number of years in Eason's and retired out of Eason's. Um, As a family, I mean, you strike me as people who are incredibly community-orientated. You seem to be involved in so many different things and probably a family of faith, if I'm right. What what was your upbringing like? Yeah, no, definitely a family of faith to this day. As I said, we're going cycling next week. We're cycling to Lord. Um, My younger brother, Colm, was born with a hole in in his heart. He's the youngest. Now, back then, a hole in the heart. Today, it's not even blinked at. But 
I remember my dad just had to go up and down to Dublin, to Crumlin. Cullum had a few operations. Um, and at that particular time, like we were, we were young ourselves and growing up and trying to keep everything going. And I do you just go up by train or do you just go up by bus? Or, um, but mum, dad and Cullum got sent to Lord by a family friend. And my father made a promise that if Cullum Pultrum was fine, he'd go back every year. Dad went back helping with the Limerick Diocese pilgrimage every June. And we were watching him going out the door every June. When we came to the age, myself and my brother Declan went to Lourdes with Dad every June, working with the sick, uh, with the Limerick Diocese pilgrimage. And in later years, my brother Owen jumped on and he was always saying, he was raging that it never grabbed him before the time he actually did. If COVID hadn't hit, myself and my brother would have been 40 years gone with the Dawson pilgrimage. My dad is well over 50 years gone. Wow. And of all the people, Cullum, who we all we went because of, has only been there once or twice. And it's a place, <laughs> it's a place. And is there a reason for that? He just no, it's just, it's, it's an actual place. Now just, it's amazing that, that it grabs you or it doesn't grab you. Mm. And it's funny, year after year after year, we see people coming, we'll know who's going to come back and we'll know they've done their stint and they've seen it, they're happy with it. So we were all in Scouts and Joseph Scouts, Cubs Scouts, um, with Niall Carey, God be good to him. And like we, back in the day when a summer camp was like your holiday, you went to Dunmore East, you were going, like, you were going um, to Waterford, you were, go you were going just to different places. And yeah, look, here's the funny thing. You you learned knots, you learned how to cook, you learned and all open fire stuff. And even the hikes out to Plassey, now Plassey's all built up. Lovely with walks out there with the university. But in the old days, you hiked out and out the old route, but you were in the middle of the country. Yeah. And you made a little fire outside and you cooked your beans or you cooked, and it was all fun and and very enjoyable. And they, would I be right in saying that the Cubs and the Scouts, you're still, you still have an involvement in some regards? It's funny. Uh, the one time the uniform goes on every year now is Lords because really? we went as a Scout group. I'm amazing it still fits, by the way, but it, it's, it goes on every year. And it's a Scouting group that we go with under the banner. There are what are called Brancardi. We're, we're part of that group, but we still wear our uniform in Lord helping every year. And when you say um, Lourdes, it either, it either gets you or it doesn't, how did it get you? It, see, and here's the phenomenon, can't explain it. I have friends who said, can, I, can we go? Yeah, I said, come. No, tell me what it's like. I said, can't. You come and you let me know after two days. Um, no, like, it's, it's funny. Yes, it's a very religious place, but... Life goes. There's a good there's bit of crack, crack too. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there is Nigel, and we have the a pints are drank in Lourdes, aren't they? Yeah, but <laughs> but apart from that, just, look, we have sessions. We'd have great sing songs with all the patients, but at night time we let the hair down ourselves. Mm -hmm. But and there's a good, there's a great mix there, you know. So um, that would have been our attachment um, to Lourdes. That's how we all ended up going. It's really interesting. Um, Talk to me about the limerick of your childhood. I mean, you you're you were you know you're pretty much city centre. You know the place inside out. But what do you what do you remember about it as a city? Your earliest memories of Limerick. Well, I mean, like Limerick, you're dead right. Bournemouth Street is on the edge of the, literally on the edge of the city. So we used to we walked everywhere. I mean, if you want to go into town, you walked. People's Park was on our doorstep. We played interstreet soccer. I mean, I all these old things that I think. The younger generation don't get 
there were interstate leagues. They were worse than the Munster clash last week. Like it was, <laughs> you know. And we'd, we'd go away, we'd all chip in a few bob and we'd go down to a jewellers and we'd buy medals. And one of the streets had win the league, like, and like there was more. Like, where, where were the games played? In the people's, in the people's park. park. And, and the, no, ball, no ball playing was always up. So we were always keeping an eye out for the warden. Because he'd run down, so we were, we were always trying to judge it in the big meadow just at the back of the Peter's Park and keep an eye out for the warden. So all the, they were all played down in... So you'd have Wolftone Street, Joseph Street... St. Joseph Street, Emmett Place, Street, Emmett Bo- Place. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we had, like, and Med, and we all knew each other. I mean, we were all probably over in the Cubs and Scouts together and then we're killing each other at the street leagues. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was super. And what we used to do, like, back then, New Year's Eve, mother and father go out. We'd have a street party. We'd bring the musical instruments out to the middle of the street. And you could, all the street came alive. So, and it was the closeness. The neighbours were, were... What's really like, interesting is I saw recently Anne Blake, I think they're living on, if I'm right, it's uh, Joseph Street, up around that area anyway. But some of that ilk that are living on that street are all musicians or they're in some way theatrical. And I've noticed that at certain times, particularly during COVID, they... Did they came street out performance no, 100%, they and came, they, it's wonderful to start seeing that coming back in yeah, the city they, they came out you're dead right because I scooped mum and dad and here they were up at St. Joseph's Street and a little bit of session going on because it was COVID and you had people outside their own doors and houses but they were all jamming in together um, and it is great it, they're little touches they're little things that I suppose the younger generation you know they, they, they'd never witnessed a good old sing song I always say it Bring young people into a good old sing song. You're actually amazed at the songs they know mm. in a sing song, and they get right into it. But because it's not a normal thing, at times they just they're standoffish. But it's 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 amazing to see the reaction when you have a good old fashioned. Where did the music come from with you, Virgo? Because I mean, I know the the boys are in the band, and you're you you're seen to be you're, you're behind every shindig inside in town at the minute. So, where did the musicality come from? It, it, it's very funny. Um, my grandfather um, on my mother's side um, was musical. He played the concertina. Um, so when we were young, we were, I remember Mem and Dad bought a piano from a neighbour up in Wolfton Street, and we rolled it down the hill. Now, there's a hill at the top of Bowman Street that come, but they lived three or four doors of Bowman Street, and here we were coming down with this piano. And like uh, the miniature roll, it went out of tune, but we got it tuned afterwards. And Mem had it in the in the house, and I took a shine into it. And she tried to send me to music, but no interest. But from having it in the house and tipping away, I I play the piano without reading music. Mm. I'll tell a very story, very funny story about music and reading music. I joined a borough boy band mm. and I took up the clarinet. <clears throat> so I was towards clarinet. Now, for anybody who knows anything about music, towards clarinet might get an odd note to blow mm. every now and again. One night inside the band hall, God be good to Paddy McCormack, he was the band director. We were practicing Sweet Rosie O'Grady. And first and second clarinets never turned up. And I have a shade of music in front of me. And what I tended to do was learn the melody mm. by ear. So when we'd be out playing or marching, I'd actually be playing the melody. <clears throat> so he's directing the band, we're going along, and next thing just total silence in the band hall. And everyone's looking around, and he taps, he taps. 
chaps to bet on. He said, clarinets, you missed your cue. And only the fact he went, da, 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 saved my bacon. So I waited and I waited. And by God, when the next time came around, because he'd hummed it, I blew it out and he kept conducting. You're passionate. I can see you got a little emotional there talking yeah. about that. Why? It's just like there were great times, you know, and you could do something like that. You know, um, I was hidden in the back of Sammy Benz's first band. Sammy came into Sammy came into the Borough Boy and took the younger members. That's how we all became into Sammy's band. Sammy kind of took the younger members. The Borough Boy was always had a more mature group and it was getting too big. So Sammy took the younger members and farmed it. Liberty City Brass and Reed Band, right? And we all joined Sammy. Um, and actually, where we are now, we practice our marching here in this yard wow. for Paddy's Day, for everything. We know uniforms. The very first year we marched down, I think we wore a white shirt and a black pants. And we know uniforms. And one of Sammy's, again, favourite songs was Windy, right? And everywhere we went, we played Windy. And only like that, I played the whole melody, the whole way down the road, and I was no more a first clarinet than anyone else. But that's what you got away with it. You, you were encouraged. Now, I do regret not being able to read music. My daughter now plays great air piano. She reads, and I listen to her playing versus me when I get into my humour with a, with a session. My brother Colm plays the drums, read music, can read drum music. My brother Owen taught himself guitar, but he's he just... He, he's gifted at, yeah. at what he does. Now, Declan, we, we slag is the black sheep of the family. Declan plays, well, he says the Tim Whistle. So, uh, we did a gig in Dolan's recently. So, in fairness, all my brothers opened the gig and we got Declan up. And Declan tells everybody we turn his mic off when he comes up singing with us. But we had the professionals in Dolan's that night and we left him off. But it, they're the good, you, you know. Yeah, and I think, um, and we'll come back to a little bit of that because I do get a sense, and when I talk to you and I've spoken before, it's, that sense of Limerick losing sort of aspects of its community-centric stuff with, you know, as we've... And we, we'll come back to that in a moment. Where did you go to school? CBS. Actually, very far. Went to the, went to, uh, the Mount, mm. as our, it was called in our day, our school, Carmel. Mixed classes. I remember learning knitting in, in, uh, in the what, communion class, the six... First, before we went on to CBS first class, and you had half and half, and because it was half and half, you had to, like, imagine saying to the, the, the gang today, right? The class today were knitting lids. Um, so I walked up there every morning. If it's any consolation, I learned how to do, I don't know what it's called, you know those things when you have a little spool and Crochet. you put nails into the, oh, into the and, and then you, you the wrap wire. the wool and it comes through and it creates a little, you can make tea cosies, and so I was doing that and See? I used to love it. Yeah, so it was Look I turned out for so we would, we ended up in CBS was my uh, secondary school, um, and great time in CBS was nearly on the hurling team. Uh, I used to play in goals, never quite made it. Um, and went through CBS, you know, and and uh, you know, I suppose there's a couple. What of sort of an academic? Well, not academic. What sort of a student were you? Were you, were you scholarly, or were you were you the Fergal that I know, which is just wanting to get involved? No, in things? Here's the problem. Right, and I, when I look back at my education, and it's funny because in, in later life when I used to talk to transition year um, classes for Matt Kelly outside in, in Croom, my first line to all of them was, I failed my leaving. And you'd hear all the chairs rattling because I had their attention. Because I had, my career had moved on. But 
I ended up in in the top class the whole way through, right? They do this assessment for better or for worse. That's where I ended up, and I remember going into the leaving certiers doing like you're going to laugh at this now. Applied maths and physics on a Saturday morning in CBS. For a good dig in applied right. maths and, and physics. physics. Okay, Saint Patrick's was the class. You were you were supposed to be intelligent. Going into sixth year, I dropped them. I changed subjects. I made a right mash of things. But anyway, that's like life turns out the way it turns out for you. But and, and you look back and think. But I remember getting the leaving sectors back in that day. You had to get five passes. There's, there's no points. So you were doing eight subjects, but you had to get five passes. You passed the leaving. I was doing eight hundred subjects. I got four honours and four fails. So you were going, and. I remember. So it wasn't a lack of ability. It was just probably a strategic stu- I, I, stupid yeah, move. I, I think so at the time, right? But the Shannon Arms had the party that night. You know, the old leaving cert party. And I sat in the corner and cried for the night. Like, because, and the only reason I did that was no one believed me that I didn't pass my leaving, which made it worse. Everyone's like, I go after, like you're telling us a yarn. Yeah. Like, go and you were there going, if they taught that, like what's after going wrong? I was repeating ever in the psyche then. Yeah, you're going to find out. Life and I'm a superstition man. I got my bike one day and cycled back down to CBS. And I pressed the button, waiting for someone to come out to me to talk to him about repeating. Nobody came out. And I, at that stage, I was I had a summer job in the Limerick Leader, labouring and taking the newspapers off the machine and doing all of that. Nobody came out. I came back up to my mother and I said, Ma'am, I don't think I'm supposed to go back and repeat. I'm going to hang around and see what happens in the Limerick Leader. And as the fellow said, the rest is history. And let's get into that history, because would I be right in saying that the Limerick leader was a love of your life? Uh, yes, without, without a shadow of it. I spent 27 years there before I moved. It was an education that you, you couldn't buy. Um, you got to know, like, things you had to do back then. That people, If you're bringing people into work now, we've all moved on. But the Buckleys are one of the Limerick leader. Lovely, lovely, lovely people. And I was a garçon. I did my leaving actually at 16 years of age. It was just the way my age fell and there was no transition back in my day. And so every Friday, Miss Buckley, Helen Buckley, so you had to go to Mullally's shop and get her, get her magazines. Mm-hmm. You had to go to Brown Thomas and collect her tights. You had to go to La Femme in Cecil Street and get our perfumes. And nowhere else would you go. And I was like a fellow with ink all over me, my face, my hands, what? Because you had to go at a certain time and you were after taking newspapers off the machine, so you're, you, 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 you were destroyed. And you'd walk into La Femme and the perfume manager opened the door would hit you and all these lovely ladies waiting and here was young Deegan coming in to collect for Spockley stuff and into Mullally's and into Brown Thomas. Well, I'll tell you a little story, listeners. So I lived across the road from Helen Buckley as a child. And Helen Buckley would organise these parties for kids. She was single, but we were always fascinated because she had her own hairdresser who would arrive out and she would then leave with this coiffed hair. But she organised these magnificent parties for kids. And we were allowed to go down to her house. And when she was making cake, Christmas cakes or chocolate cakes, we were allowed to lick the bowl. That was Helen Buckley. But she was a wonderful person. Tell listeners, because the leader, and I know we'll talk about how things change in media, but what a wonderful 
person, first they, of all. They were and, a super family, right? And a Limerick leader dinner ends one particular time. Helen announced to the whole Limerick leader staff that I was her little treasure. And it stuck with me. I never, I got so much abuse that night. Out in the, I still remember it. Out in the Castle Oaks Hotel in Castle Connell. She was speaking, thanking everybody for, for the work they, they did all year and how well the company was going and everything else. And out of the door she goes, and as for my little treasure, and the whole place just went. And that was me. But these were local people, Virgil, who owned the local oh, paper. Oh, yeah, the Buckley family. They, they actually came up from Kerry. Um, a lot of Kerry people worked in the Limerick Leader. It was nearly a rite of passage if you were coming to Limerick. Um, Bally Bunyan people, they originally came. So you had you had Helen and Jerry and Niall, um, and their parents had handed it to them and Mrs. Wright. John Wright was the, the other person that owned the Leader. But it was very family-orientated. And it was personable, you know, you knew everyone and, 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 and it was an important document or a, a newspaper of note for the region. Now, look, it, it, the Limerick Leader was, 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 was the record. It recorded everything back in the day, you know. As I said, births, deaths and marriages, but it, the Leader, if you go back on the archives of the Leader now, you went down to the City Library and call up any year on microfilm. It's fascinating what you information and, and detail you got and what people wrote about and the whole facet of Limerick and the whole history of Limerick or uh, social occasions, who was out and who was looked like it was it was it was it was fascinating. And if you were in the paper, if you were seen out and you were photographed, it was talked about, wasn't it? Oh, that was the thing. Like in the heyday, the Limerick leader sold thirty five thousand copies per week. Sold. Sold. There was no internet. No no mm. sold thirty five thousand copies per week. That's Phenomenal, right? And it was it was nearly like you got your leader. If you didn't get your leader, there was something wrong. You know, it was in households and and like the, the, the requests and people looking. And when I worked there, like get, the request you get, can you cover that? Can we get this? Can we do this? You know, it was the source for information. It was the place to be in. And when I look at it, um, the local media fascinates me and the whole, you know, the history of stuff. But there would have been that frontage on O'Connell Street and in behind you had the printing works, if I'm right, and the whole operation. But tell me about the producing of a newspaper at the time, before you were in sales or anything like that, you know, what did you witness? I mean, how, what, what was the... Because you would have had to be printing with the old printing presses so, and you'd have been getting... I joined just when hot metal was coming out. Now, hot metal was all the letters of the alphabet and there were zinc plates for pictures and, and the page was made up in this whole bracket and again it, 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 the plates and then the imprint was made and the plates were made. And we slowly moved, computers were starting to come in and um, if you had watched the compositors or the typesetters typing, there was a stream of, of paper coming out of the machine with all dots and holes. So when they were tight, that, that, was the, that was the message, that was the reading at the time, right? And when colour came into the press, you had to send it to Dublin. And there were only certain pages you could print colour on. So we bought, a, I remember they bought a, a new press uh, to print the paper. And suddenly we could have colour. But it was only on matching, off-matching off, off pages and only so many pages could have colour. But in order to have colour, it had to go up to Dublin to master photo. They turned what was called a negative into a positive, sent back down by train, and our lads then made the plates and put them on. And uh, it was 
like a whole new changing era and then people went to colour ads and, and things started started to change. But what revolutionised it all was was that the, it was called the, the computer to play it. So this machine got invented. So now we're back, we're on the computer era. You design your page on the computer and you send it straight onto the plate. There's no going to Dublin, there's no going anywhere. And here, presto, instead of a two-day turnaround in order that you had colour, you had it in 10 minutes. But one of my, one of my, I could talk all night, but one of my, um, one of my daily chores in my early days was we used to print Northside Express, Southside Express, all the Dublin free papers. Limerick Lear got the contract. And about six weeks in a row, they missed the train at the junction sending the negatives and uh, down to Limerick. So I used to get the eight o'clock train to Dublin, have my breakfast, sit above in Houston Station, reading a Limerick leader so they know who I was. They come over with the box of plates, I got back on the train, I come back down, I hand them into the lads in work, go up to my dinner mother and come down then and take the papers off the press. Amazing. And it's so different. Um when you when when you were there, I mean, would I be right in saying Fergal Keane, BBC, he'd have been around for your time. Was there. Connor, John B. Keane was writing for them. He was, yeah, you, yeah. Connor Keane was there, which which is Fergal's first cousin. Um, there was there was a lot of journalists learned their trade in the Limerick in the Leader. Leader and Alan English was now editor, who was editor of the Leader and is yeah. now Sunday Independent. He was Alan, in the early days. His Alan, dad, Alan, was there in the early days. Went off to the UK and came back then as editor. That's right. I know. Now as above in the. The Sunday Independent, and his dad, of course, was involved with the Theatre Royal. Tom, yeah. So, like, the, 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 it's steeped in history, steeped, and uh, you, you know, like, you you look even in the modern era. Laura Ryan served her time in the Limerick Leader. That's right. Catherine Hayes served her time in the Limerick Leader. And the funny story about those two girls is, I know how long they're going out with the Leader because my daughter was born the night. They were having their going away party and I couldn't go. <laughs> so I always legged them to this day so I know exactly. <laughs> They'll kill you for that. I know man. that, yeah. I know exactly. But you know, the, 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 there's, there's a lot, a lot of people have, have, have been there. And it's that family thing and that sense of community. As as you progressed through the leader, you probably did different roles. At what point did um, sales come into play for you? Very funny again. I'll write the book someday. I was dating Phil at the time, who was now my wife. And we'll, I meant to ask you about Phil. Right. We wait a minute. Yeah. But we were walking down O'Connell Street going to the pictures. And Joe Gleeson, the MD, came out of the leader at that particular time. And he said, Fergal, the very men, there's two positions now coming up in the leader. One is in photographic and one is in sales. And we've had a meeting and we think you're the men for sales. I'll talk to you Monday. I went into the pictures that night. I said, Phil, I'm not a beggar. I'm not taking this job. I, I, I didn't even see the picture. I can't remember the picture we saw. I went the whole night. No, no, I got straight into him Monday morning out to tell him, forget it. I just, I can't do that. People see me as, as the outside person but always behind the outside person there's a deeper person and like I, I remember starting in sales and walking around shops looking in the door and going home crying the evening because I, I felt I couldn't go in and ask and I remember for money yeah, I, yeah. Well, you were sell, like it, it was a whole new like there was no no training there was no you know so and I remember my dad It'll tell you how long ago it is now. I wasn't even married. And, and so remember my dad one day said, why don't you try something on St. Joseph's Parish? The family is well known. And see how it goes. So the next sales meeting, Joe Donovan was, was, was the sales manager. And Joe was from St. Joseph's Parish, South Circular Road. 
said Paul Fergal at the next salesman, um, sorry, Mr. Donovan. And in the old days, that's, it's funny, you know, imagine telling people you call someone Mr. This and Mr. That. I said, uh, I have an idea. And he goes, yes. I said, I, I'm going to do a feature in the Chronicle on St. Joseph's Parish. It's a marvellous idea, he says. How many pages do you think you're going to get? <laughs> and they're scratching my head at that stage going. So anyway, to this day, I think I maintain that my father had a word with a couple of people around the place because I ended up with a 24-page uh, supplement inside the Chronicle on St. Joseph's Parish, which turned into St. John's Parish, which turned into St. Mary's Parish. which turned, And what it did was it built my client base because now I, I had an excuse going to the door, but I was meeting people now and they were, and we, I, in certain areas, was building my whole thing and got... And you learned the trade. You learned yes. how to do it. You learned how to make the sale. Yes. And I suppose as well, you believed in the product, which is hugely important. In, in any sales job, if you have a doubt, if, if you're not fully committed to the product, forget about it. Mm. Because you, they'll, people will see it in your face or they'll, they'll know by the way you're selling it. You know, so if you ever, or any advice you give to anybody, they ever get a job in sales, make sure they believe in the product because it'll make it f easier for them. I was in Trinity and the first ever job I had in Trinity, I had to do it for the summer, was I got a job in working for the Golden Pages, but it was on the fax directory. And this was when fax machines were, were going out the door. And I knew I, the fax machine was, the fax directory was as thin now as my finger. And we were expected to ring people hoping they had fax machines to get the thing in. And I remember I wept because I didn't believe in the product. And you're this is exactly right. And I always got a sense from you that anything you've ever done, you firmly believed in. I think you were very lucky like that in your sales roles. Would it be right? I was blessed. Yeah. As I said, you have to. But you learn, like, you think in life you don't learn. I remember when I, unfortunately, I left the Limerick Leader in 2007. The family element that had gone, it had been bought uh, by a Scottish company and they had a different way. My way of selling and what they were looking for weren't the same. And that was in 2007. Seven. Am I right? Did you go to Ennis then? Yeah. So, so you went to... I went to declare people. New paper. Oh, you know, uh, trying to make an establishment. But the lesson you learn in life, as well as a salesperson, your patch is your patch. I spent two and a half years in Clare and my network in Clare didn't build in two and a half years. I wasn't living there. I wasn't socialising there. I was working there. And if you're in sales, I, I would say, that it's a personal opinion, it makes a difference. I enjoyed the job. They, they were a brand new, they had great ideas. The paper was great. But I could not get through that threshold of, if I had a gap in the paper, if I was in Limerick, I'd know exactly who to pick the phone up to ring. And, and you learn, and I tell you, at, at that hour of so my life... So that was a tough one for you. It that was, was a move that you... But probably a move where you decided career-wise you needed to do it, but you got a kick in, yeah, in the ass over yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then, luckily enough... Live 95. Yeah. Job, or, job came 95 up. FM at the time. Yes, and it was very funny. So I rang Joe Nash at the time, and I said, uh, you're looking for somebody, yeah? I said, look, I'm not saying I'm in, but I'd love to have a chat. Joe said, great. We'll, and Joe knew of me. Sure, the next thing I know, I was I was uh, in the hotel, the, the, the Limerick City Hotel, as it's called now, with, with the CEO of the company and one of the directors from Northern Ireland opposite me. And this wasn't to be an interview. But it turned out I was two hours with him 
and it was a general chat. They threw stuff at me. I didn't consider it. I wasn't prepared because I thought I was meeting Joe for a cup of coffee to find out what the whole... I got a call at half nine to follow him on and offered me the job. And looking at you over that time, you were in typical Fergal Deegan fashion. You went in and you made it your own. You became the face in many senses of Live 95. You're Joe and yourself. And, and you brought in things like the, the 95 Five Stop, Stop Tour. Tour. I remember the Living in the Window stuff. That was all you that brought this zest into Live 95. Uh, but it was quite funny because Phil said I had a face for radio. So, um, but yeah, I was trying to figure out how am I going to, like, radio Alien to me, never, you know, newspapers I talk to you about all night and I'll tell you the ins and outs and upside down. We, I ended up, like, yeah, the 95 Stop Tour became a huge success. A huge success. Started with Living in the Window and we were looking for something different. Um, and then um, something they never used to do in radio. And they looked, I remember the first time we tried it, the, the reps were kind of looking at me going, but you'll hear even last week now all the best wishes ads for the Limerick team. There was never a kind of a newspaper feature done on radio. So in a newspaper, you'd see all the best wishes and pictures. And, and we came up with a rate and so many slots. And I said, lads, I bet you it'll give it a, give it a go. And there's, to this day, they're still doing it. Mm. Um, but I really enjoyed down there. It became a whole new area for me, a whole new thing. How much money um, did they raise? I mean, in the in the years that you were there, um, for the the Ark and Carrie and the, the, the Midwestern... And, and we did clean as uh, in latter, yeah. latter years. Uh, Carrie had been the anchor tenant for, for, for the want of uh, a better world. Mm. The, 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 the unit over in the maternity hospital, the, the neonatal unit became a beneficiary one year. Um, the Ark outside became a huge, you know, and, and even going out um, with Dr. Roy and seeing, you know, we don't, we sussed it out. But the events were the thing. Mm. People got in, but, but we're going back to community. The items that people did in the community and we went out and we brought the, the, the lead, the DJs the shadows out, the, and the all out and interviewing, they all got their moment of glory on radio and um, um, there was hundreds of thousands raised Nigel and it's still going on I mean they, they, they had a uh, carry benefited I think again last year and it was COVID time so it was tough but it became like an obsession and and like it was just mad people well, we'll organise this for you can we do this for you can we and you were going to events like morning on the night because I, I'm always if someone's going to do something for you turn up and appreciate it so it was brilliant mm. You left Live 95 and then went back to the home, the place where it all started. And would I be right in saying that arriving, and, and by the way, there be no criticisms here about anyone, but times change, right? And new owners come in and new ways of doing things. And in some senses, maybe ownership of local media probably does take a little bit of the local away because, and you arrived back in the leader. Talk to me about your experience. Yeah, I suppose the only, only place... I was ever, ever, if someone knocked, I was so happy in the radio. The only other place, the, there was only one place in the world if someone knocked on my door, but I go back. And it was the Limerick leader. Mm -hmm. So that happened four years ago. And I tossed and I turned and I, I, I actually found it very difficult to make the decision. But then, I, I, you know, they say you go with your heart or you go with your head or whatever. And it's gas everyone will tell you, like, do the pros, do the cons, do this, do the other. You make a decision, you have to then just go with it and try not to look back and say, 
thicket, mm. you know. Um, yeah, so I went back into a completely different environment. I went back with a fancy title. I was never one for titles, but and I was trying to analyse what my title was going to be, mm. as in, you know, a commercial director. Sounded very sexy at the time, you know, and you were going, okay, look, right. Um, they had a sales manager, they had a sales team, so I wasn't going to be as much hands-on in that side either. Um, I always had a dream that the leader needed a free paper because the paid-for title was falling off and they weren't selling as many copies. And if you're in sales, it's a numbers game. So if you're not offering the numbers, you can't be expecting to be getting the high dollar for the ad or people. And what you want for people is that you want them to get a return. So anyway, went back. Um, took a while to settle, even though I knew, like... I could do it my ice club, but it took took me a while to settle. And the dynamics had changed, uh, staff had changed. Still, some a couple of old faces there, but you're probably right. Was it a bit like moving from home and then going back to the house that you lived in for a long time? And there's a new family there, and they've changed the decor, and you just don't feel right. Yeah, and not only did they change the decor, they changed the way of doing things. And you're dead right with your earlier comment. Local media, if you own a local paper and you have to go out and either eat or have a pint and you're sitting in the middle of town and you have to listen to people saying, what were you writing about? What did you... It gets you second guessing and you're part of the community. So you're more involved. If you're miles away, you don't have to deal with any of that. You know, and I think you, you lose the sense of what the area is about and what the people are about. Mm. And in that regard, you know, a lot of Irish, there's very few uh, local media left that are still owned by people. So you'd have the Nina Garden, still family owned. You have the Post, of course, still family owned. You have the Weekly Observer and the Bell Star, still family owned. And then if you look around the country, like the Galway Advertiser is, 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 is a family owned. But... There are ver- it's not just Limerick. It's you no, know this is a trend oh, nationally, no. internationally, it's and local media. We need to keep it, but we're fighting a battle with people who aren't local. Yes, yes. And as much as you might put local journalism in, local sales or whatever in, it's not same if there's a policy and there's a way of doing things. So it yeah, it's it's quite um, it's a pity. COVID hit and. Obviously, we were all told to lock down and you're working in a role that requires money to come in. Talk to me about how COVID affected the leader at that time. I think, look, as you said, everybody started to lock down revenue streams. The last thing on people's mind was advertising. You know, everyone was cutting here, there and everywhere. Um, And it became difficult no, the government had subsidies and everything, so you didn't need to be hitting, you know, uh, HSE started to spend loads. Of, you, you were picking up other business, but locally you were losing big time. And then some business were trying to say, look, we're still open. So without it costing them an arm and a leg. Um, so it became difficult, but on the, the, the March of 2020, I remember I got the first phone call from the owner of the Limerick Leader on a Friday 
and uh, I took the phone call and I was the first one told that I would be going out on a COVID payment that, you know, um, and I actually didn't take it well. Because um, here I was, 40 years working, suddenly someone telling me, oh, it's only temporary, but, you know, and I couldn't get into my head. Like, temporary, what's temporary? Like, what what's going to happen? Like, everyone's talking, well, no, we know what, COVID, the COVID adventure or where it was going to take us. So that was fine. Then by Monday or Tuesday, other people started to get calls. Some people got left go, which I was a bit disappointed about. Straight off. Straight off, left go. Um, so anyway, you, you can nearly see a trend. And then more people, as, as COVID was going on, it was a shoestring staff. It was... Um, you know, the free paper that the leader brought out when, when I went back went. Just another one parked and gone, you know. Um, so there was cuts everywhere. Um, and, yeah, it was difficult. And then... How did you cope with that COVID? I mean, I mean, most people were at home anyway, but at least some people were working. But you were actually not working. You I, were just on the COVID payment. Uh, yeah, I was actually doing nothing. For the and, first time probably in your life. Yeah, first time in my life. And finding it difficult. I'm not a walker. I do a bit of cycling. And it took me a while to readjust to stop feeling sorry for myself and just to get up and just just get out. Actually, just get out. Um, and I, I did. I was, went back cycling three and four times a week. I actually did a bit more walking than I did, you know, went back walking. And we found walks. You like, took up Twitter and you were doing Fergie's oh, Friday tweet. Phil, <laughs> Phil, Phil's great. I, I, for a guy that has been in media all his life, I was never on social media. So Phil set me up on Twitter. Twitter was my first venture into social media. And for the fun, trying to figure out what I do was Fergie's Friday tweets. And I, like, it's funny, Nigel, what, what people react to. But I wasn't feeling great about myself. And one day I did two, 30 seconds or a minute of, um, it's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. I put on the tweet, look, Life, we'll get it, we'll get back at it. We'll we'll start looking at things and and I sang I think two or three lines of that song. I think I had twenty thousand hits, Nigel, mm. and it was for nothing. Don't get me wrong. Like so, so I continued to Fergie Friday fights. We'd be down the market and people would be, oh, that was a good one. That was a bad one. And I was nearly trying to make up words of songs every Friday about something that might or might not have been happening. Um, and to this day, people are asking me when I'm bringing them back. And like, it was it was a classic Fergal uh, Fergal Deegan uh, take on the COVID thing. When did the phone call come that said good night to the leader? Right. Uh, so so it, it came. Um, it came in July. Um, remember, I got the phone call July of 2020. 20, 2020. Yeah. Um, I remember, I got the phone call that this could go on until October or it could go on you know not knowing but um, I remember a question I said to them are you giving me my notice or what's happening or what's going on and because you, you, you know there are certain procedures you have to go through and, and do so basically said yeah he basically said you know, he couldn't afford to bring me back basically um, and that was a shock to the system um, did it come out of the blue yes and no because there was no sign of, of any movement of saying we're going to bring slowly bring one or two back or we're going to and then nobody knew I was having COVID and there was people in the group kind of being left go along the line 
So uh, remember got the call, and then I was dealing with with yeah the accountant after that. But it was it was it was uh, yeah. I did. I, I went to I went to Kilkee for the full month of August. Something I've never ever ever done in my life. And I was down there, and do you know what? It was probably a bit of a tonic. I was able to switch off to a certain level, and I was away from just the norm for the time being, you know. And it, I remember it was funny because back then, no one knew about COVID. Of course, I'm in Kilkee, Phil is in Kilkee. My daughter, who would have been with the COVID twenty first. Celebrate, couldn't go, couldn't go on Erasmus. Um, next thing we had a phone call in Kilkee, she got COVID. And this was in the beginning when nobody knew. So here I'm thinking, like, um, here am I thinking, now oh, look, there's daughter now getting COVID. What's happening here? Uh, Phil had to go up for two weeks. That was back then when we just didn't you know. Couldn't say it. it was Valley of Squinton Windows. Well, you know it, what? You? It, was, it was like a turn, like there was, uh, and I can say it now, but there was people putting up, like, Fergal Lee and daughter's COVID. Super like spreader. it was, yeah. it was kind of like if it, it, it came from someone we hardly knew to a thing that became like oh, it's like the flu, you know. But and um, the early days was weird, wasn't yeah, it? And yeah. then I had one or two health issues happening at the time, and you, you have to weigh up. You have to weigh up. You will look. No matter who we are, we'll worry about money because bills have to be paid, and you have to sort things out, and you have to do this, that, and the other. But if you get a bit of a scare about a health or anything like that. It brings you back to basics. You got a right kick, didn't you? Because I remember meeting you one day sitting outside a coffee shop and I had a sense that things were changing. In fact, I'd met you when you were still at the leader, but you were looking a bit more stressed. There was a bit of the glow gone out, Fergal. And then I met you and you told me. And you welled up and you, you know, and I saw what you mentioned earlier on, which was that sensitive side of Fergal Deegan. And it was a kick, wasn't it? You The health stuff you had you lost the love of your life. In, uh, you know, we'll come back to Phil. Yeah. The, le- the, the, le- the leader was a real love for you, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was a passion. Like, mm-hmm. it was a passion. But you do, like, like you know, you hear of all these people who had knocks and kicks and, and they get up and, you know, you have to lose a million to make a million and all that. That's fine. But And then you see, you see the tragic health stories. So you, you, have to, you have to take stock. You actually have to. And then say, do you know what? I'm actually lucky. I'm not, I'm not bad. I'm not in a bad, you know, place. I'm a grafter. You can get on with life. You, you'll manage. Something will turn up. But you'll never lose the bit of worry. Like, you know. Oh, of course. It, it's there, like, all and, the time. And I want to come back now to Phil, right? Where did you meet Phil for the first time? This, I tell you, I'm giving all my secrets out here. I might be able to walk down on Collins Street after this. Phil's mother used to say, has that fella the Deegan's gone out with everyone in the basketball team except you? <laughs> we, we played basketball years ago and it was a great group and a great core and, and uh, we, had, we had a marvellous time with Maritime Basketball Club and we toured the country I and mean, we played tournaments and we had great weekends away and um, Phil was part of that but I suppose it's, it's, you're a young flan, whatever goes on in life, you know. But she was the last, the last one, uh, we'll say, of the, as, as her mother used to say, of the basketball team. Um, and it, it's kind of funny because um, we're going back to when Phil was in her leaving cert. And one of the other girls in the basketball team had asked me to dibs in Laurel Hill. I was half hoping Phil might. But, but this girl asked, and I said, yes. And Phil then was that same day with 
with somebody else that night. But the following Monday, we were actually we were actually dating, or as they say, back in the day, going out, going out with each other, you know. And um, I was working later. Phil was still in school. I think it was a year going out with Phil before parents renting, like back in the day, like, you know, I used to meet Phil walking home from, from Laurel Hill up by Eddie Dignam's in St. Joseph's Church. I duck out from the leader and then she, she, she'd end up going, going out home. Um, but we were coming home on Christmas after being in town shopping and her cousin's car passed and her, I had I dropped Phil at the top of the road and gone, by the time Phil got home, the cousin had said, Phil is, Phil is a boyfriend, like, and, you know, so it, it, it was kind of funny. But and yeah. when did you, when was it official and then how did you propose? Oh, it's, 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 it's uh, and, and back then there was romantic proposals. I was like, really wasn't. I actually asked her father, the old tradition way, like um, when you were back in the day, you, you went for a point and Paddy was a screaming on. He knew exactly what I was up to that night and, and did he didn't make it easy. Like, you know, I, he was a great character. We we travelled the high roads and by roads with your monsters every weekend. The two of us were, were, were gone. Um, but we got married in 1990. Um, we were going out with each other. Phil's brother was away, was, was away training to be a redemptorist. So and listen, I'll just stop you there because what I find really interesting about your relationship and all that is you see the Deegans and they're a very strong family. They're a family of, you know, siblings and you know they're the Deegans. When you see the Egans, they're also equally a family where they're identifiably Egan and each of them with an interesting... So your kind of familiarity yeah. between the two families was interesting. Uh, and she didn't change much from Egan to Deegan. Like, but... Uh, <laughs> So her brother was being ordained the year before, and of course, back then it was as big as a wedding. So we couldn't get married till the year after. Um, and yeah, so 1990, into two mile in, and I found, um, I found the um, invoice recently. And the strange thing about it, a bottle of wine was dearer than the main course meal. Amazing. Just when you go back and look at things, you know. Um, yeah, so what's it, 33 years now? Is that how long you're together? Would I be right no, in we're saying... we're over 40 years together. 40 years, but, but 33 married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, would I be right in saying that, Phil, like during that period a couple of years ago, probably was the rock for you? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, yeah. yeah. Um, very strong-willed woman and a very positive mm. woman. And like even the Twitter thing, which was just, it was a sidetrack, but she saw it was a sidetrack, you know? And like Phil is, Phil is a half full glass person mm. all the time. So yes is the answer to your question. It could be to listeners. We've I'm gonna need ten minutes left in this, and it could be to listeners. It could sound like, "Wow, Fergie and went through hell," you know, and and a guy that you who didn't deserve it. And I do not, in, in, of all the people in Limerick, I think. But you're on a new journey. And you're now out, and hopefully COVID, it will see, it's the end of it. Tell people what you're at now, and we might then, for the last couple of minutes, just look at how potentially we could change the city using oh. some of the things you do. <laughs> um, yeah, well, look, um, I, had to, I, had to, look, I had to do something. Um, and I've never, ever, ever worked for myself. I've been a PAY worker for over 40 years. And I was there and I said, look, will I want to? And I would have a very good network. Um, and people have been good to me. Um, and just see, the, the, people are very good. But, but the, when you hear people saying, she will be all right. That, that, I get nervous from that as well. Because if that person thinks I'm going to be all right, well, then they mightn't be looking to give me something. because that, And you get, you know... But it's a sense of security too that other people are nearly having more faith in you than, than you are yourself. 
So I registered as a sole trader. I put in Deegan Solutions because I'm, I'm always having problems anywhere. I'm always organising something or starting something out for someone. Um, and I started to get some work. I did some work for the HSE. Uh, a discount booklet at Christmas. I did the Limerick City Centre Traders, ended up putting music on the street last August, and then at Christmas time, uh, did stuff for them. Um, I did stuff for Chambers Ireland. So there was a bit of selling and marketing and also events. Um, and I, I'm a novice, I'm new. I, I, uh, but you're not, you see, and I think that's where that kick in the confidence came from. It's that the self-doubt and maybe just because, and I, and I hate to see it because, but there's a positivity in you again. And I know it's probably harder because you have to look at trying to get that income in on your own. Yeah. And it is to, like, when you're used to looking at your bank account and see what's coming in every month and you're able to budget and say, yeah, we'll do that, 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 and that. And the same amount is coming in the following month. Mm. Now you're, now you're there. Oh, what job have I next week? Or even like you know, I've nothing for the next three weeks. Or you know, and it's still taking time to get that you know kind of mentality in there. That look, stop worrying. You know, things are happening. You know, and you adapt. I mean, I walk the streets every day. I'll never change that. And I think you meet people and you do more business walking around. And some people don't get that concept. They think they send an email or they've sent so and they've, they've they've done their job. But talking to people and just telling them, even even just letting them know what you might be at or what you mightn't leads to something. There's a famous photo of the two of us and I'm leaning on a pole and you're leaning on that's the other right. pole and yeah. we're chatting. And in a sense, that's what I love about Limerick. You get to know people and know how things are working just by being around. And that's probably where I think the new way of doing things possibly needs to be reassessed. Yeah, and look, yes, the the internet, yes, modern technology, they all have their place in life. But when I used to get salespeople in and I tell them, right, off you go, it was nearly like, oh my God, what am I going to do? The art of conversation, the art of looking at someone in the face and eyeballing someone. And then, and Irish people are funny. If you actually go and knock on the door or go into a business... Nearly obviously, I'll think about it. You know, like, there's a few will tell you no straight away because it's not for them, but in the general sense, the door is still open. You sent an email, you'll get back, thank you very much, but no thanks, the door shut. Um, last couple of minutes, I want to ask you, you know, Young Monster, I haven't mentioned, you've been, <laughs> you've been president of Young Monster. Where did Young Monster come into it? Was that a, was that a family thing as yeah, well? Yeah, it's I actually played with him as, 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 okay. as a young but it's family, it's pure family, yeah. yeah. All, we, I've had uh, granduncles and uncles, all presidents, so there's a there's a strong strong tradition there, and that's the way. And I could talk to you for hours about the young monster stuff. Um, you were recently involved, and this hopefully will be coming out this week. So we've recently seen the local authority do this many mini urban forest that I've given them credit for. I think it was wonderful. There were people who say, "Why did you put them on the bridge? Why did you put them there?" I think what they're doing is they're testing space to see how they move. But you were involved, and unfortunately, it rained that day. But Coming back to community in Limerick, and you're behind a couple of events that's trying to attract footfall, ironically sometimes with people who think that cars attract footfall, but what are your thoughts on the Limerick of today versus what we could get to the Limerick of tomorrow to bring that community back into the city? You see, it's, it's like anything else, Nigel. <clears throat> yes, you have people who look, no matter what you do, no matter what you do in life, they'll knock it, you know. And then 
you have the other view. If we don't try something, right, if it doesn't work, fair enough. We've tried it. Right, knock it. Sorry, it didn't work. Look, we tried. Um, the, the, the weekend was very interesting. Catherine Street on Saturday was absolutely unbelievable. The amount of people that were out enjoying themselves, the sun shone on, 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 on Saturday, the music was playing. It was like a big street party. It was absolutely fabulous. Did you ever think that maybe 20, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, I don't think that would have been no. fathomable. It, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be in the mindset. And the, the urban trees now, they're below in Honan's Quay. I mean, the concept's fine. You can sit down, you can relax, there's chair space, there's, you, you, you know, it creates a different environment. So, and, and people had their opinions about what was closed and what wasn't closed the weekend. And for listeners as well, just to remind, this isn't an end product. This is, this is testing space being done in a different way. Yeah. For possibly doing something long term. Yes, and, and as I said, if you don't try, you won't know. So, and again on Sunday, we got two and a half hours of buzz on the bridge Sunday before the rain came and we had to just readjust and, and do stuff. But as a concept and an idea, like I, I sat there and I might be a bit biased because I was involved, but I sat there and listened to entertainment on Saturday and I could have been anywhere in Europe because the trees gave the setting, the music was fabulous, the sun was shining and... Uh, everyone was having and a good time. And people will say to me, you know, oh, but we only get the odd few days of sunshine. So do other countries, or you know, particularly in more northern countries. It, it's to prepare for when we do have nice days. That's what this stuff is all about. Yeah, and, and I suppose, Nigel, we can also prepare for when we don't have such nice days that maybe there would be places in the city where we can actually have not a full covering or not, but that... It, the rain won't... Solutions. Yes. Deacon solutions. Exactly. See? Now, I'm telling you. Um, final question for you, Posterity Podcast. Um, when you go to the grave and people think about Fergal Deegan, and I hope it's not for donkey's years, but what would you like your legacy to be and what would you like to see happen in Limerick over the next 20 years so that the Limerick that you leave is better for the grandkids that you'll probably have? Well, like, for Limerick to be Limerick, um, we need to get rid of this course of St. Munchen. We've just too many knockers out there. We just need to try rowing. Look, every idea isn't a great idea, but some ideas do work. Um, I would like to be remembered for, I suppose, for what I did for people, um, what, especially what I did for Limerick people and what I did for Limerick. Um, and I would like Limerick to be, like, really established themselves. They still question about the third largest city. You know, they still question about us as, as, as a people, you know. And I, I would just like for us to go back, making our mark, back to that community spirit, back for standing up for each other. Um, like if, 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 if you were from Cork, if, I, if you hated each other, they stand up for each other. They, they won't let you knock and go after people. So we need to start running together and, and being a united front. And possibly getting a few more people living back in the city again, but, which does create that community. Well, no, it definitely does. You know, definitely bodies and people around the place and an atmosphere and a, and a whole buzz, you know, yes, definitely helps. And again, it's just looking at it and looking at the areas and looking at what we can and can't do. And, and as you said, getting more people in. And I'm sure that over the next couple of years that 
you with Deegan Solutions and with all your other guys will be at the heart of what happens in the next coming few months and Treaty United, all of those things that you've got involved in. There isn't a thing that Fergal Deegan doesn't touch. So um, I wish you, Fergal, all the very best with the new endeavour. I wish you the best on your cycle to Lourdes. I hope young Munster continue to have success. I wish your marriage with Phil another 33 years and I hope that life gets better over the coming decade because um, it's, if there's anyone who deserves it, you deserve it. Thank you so much for coming on the Posterity Podcast and um, the best of luck. Thank you, Nigel. You've been listening to the Posterity Podcast with me, Nigel Dugdale, produced by the Limerick Post in association with Limerick City Community Radio. Theme tune composed by David Blake and performed by the Brad Pitt Light Orchestra. If you want to get in touch with me or suggest any future guests, you can contact me directly on Twitter at Limerick City Biz or you can contact the Limerick Post at Limerick Post. Thank you.